0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. We know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay.
1: Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with a return guest, Elliot Andre.
2: Hello, everybody. So glad to be back.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to have you back and to talk about our topic. Uh, So for those of you that were longtime listeners, Elliot was episode number two. You were my second episode uh, called Practicing Perseverance, where you talked about studying abroad, about being humbled by being overseas, and about how you brought that into your work as a uh, recreational therapist and relationship coach. But today, we're going to expand on a different part of you, another part of you, um, which is being polyamorous. And we were thinking, talking about before, about how this can be kind of like a primer, like a 101 on polyamory. Um, You talk from your experience, from where you work with other people. Um for those of you listening, I'm fairly monogamous, although Elliot might convince me differently throughout the course of this episode. Um uh, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a discussion around two sides of the of the same coin and and talk about this thing that is I think really like emerging in our current culture that it's getting a lot more attention. I used to be really fringe or even, you know, shamed and looked down upon, but at least in progressive areas like where we live in Boulder, Colorado, it's very out in the open. What what do you think about that, Elliot?
2: I couldn't agree more with you, Mark. Uh, there has been a, a very nice and humbling experience for many people who are I identify as polyamorous or non-monogamous in, in Colorado and in other places. It's been very nice to feel like we're not stigmatized. That we're based on our relationship choices and are becoming more uh, of a topic of most households in regards of what this looks like. I mean, they've take, we've taken lots of steps. They just um, over the last year, even in Boston, I can't remember where in Boston, but actually um, by law now people can get married to partners in a polyamorous relationship now. And it's not seen as traditional polygamy. So to me in regards of the lifestyle and how I live, that's a huge win to see that uh, a state like Boston which I assume, you know, in my brain is, you know, goes on some conservative, but is a little bit liberal as is, is, is by law made that happen, made that happen here. So I'm feeling really good about it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty big. I didn't know that, that you so you can marry like multiple
2: people. Yes, you can. And it's no. not considered polygamy. It's actually, yeah. it's, it's its own sect of, of, uh, polyamorous relationship partnerships that you can bind by law now mm-hmm. in, uh i can 't remember where in Boston it is, but it 's in a small town very cool
1: so that's that 's pretty much a good place to start. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between polygamy and polyamory
2: yes absolutely. and and where that comes from yeah, sure, sure so polygamy in in, in lots of uh, cultures has been something that has been practiced and still is today uh, it 's the idea that a man can marry multiple wives, not the other way around at all whatsoever um, it's actually, uh, unfortunately, I think in lots of ways, part of the negativity that's seen towards polygamy because we're in this day and age of like women empowerment and making sure that people are seen and heard and have choice. But in lots of ways, it's still very old school or, or pre-colonial times in, in lots of ways. Um, so that's kind of the basis background of, of what polygamy is. It's man marries multiple partners, can have sexual relations with any and all of them, um, and can engage in how, however he decides. Polyamory, totally opposite, not anywhere near and or close to polygamy at all. Polyamory is the basis, an understanding of uh, consensual non-monogamy that you'll be in relationship with multiple people uh, in or outside multiple relationships. So the idea that you have the consent and choice to be with people, whether that's being married and having a partner outside of that, whether that's being in, in a situation where you're, um, you're, with, you're just partnered and then you have uh, another partner outside of that. There's just so many different dynamics and contracts of what polyamory is in regards of, of, uh, of what it is as a whole. Polyamory is a blanket statement and an umbrella statement of many different ways of engaging in it. Um, and I'm happy to get into that in regards of how I do that to kind of give people a basis of, of just one person's experience.
1: Yeah, I think that would be helpful because something that stood out to me when talking to people in the polyamory community, it's very similar to actually people in like the kink or BSM community, mm-hmm. is how much communication there is and how many, use the word contracts, exactly that was my experience. It is how much like nuanced conversation and rules and boundaries and ongoing discussion it is because, you know, like you said, you're, I mean, you're playing with something that's powerful. You're playing with love, right? And you're playing with religion. And you're playing with feelings and you're playing with people's hearts. Um, and there are so many different ways that people engage with it. So, yeah, I'd be curious, like, how do you do it? Um, what are some other common configurations that you've seen? How do people tend to navigate these, uh, these waters?
2: Definitely. I, I think for me, just to give a basis of my background is that my relationship style dynamic has changed throughout my opening up within the non-monogamous community. So, uh, um, just wanted to put that out there that, my story is, is somewhat typical, but not in comparison to others, but uh, in, in line of what it looked like. So it started out as being married, decided uh, with my wife consensually to be in a position of saying, hey, let's open up, let's try swinging, which is more of a contractual, um, we have sex, not intimate feelings. Then it went to, let's see what it's like dating separately.
1: And so started, Hold on, to, to yeah. jump in there. Is swinging mainly like couple and couple, a like two couples together.
2: Yes. Or is it Probably with other single people? percent of the time. Okay. It's couples deciding that they want to swap. Right. That was,
1: that's my right. understanding of it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But
2: there's also, again, more dynamics with even in the swinging community and culture. Swinging in my eyes is not the same as polyamory. Yeah. Because of the essence of being able to love and have feelings and be, a, be in partnership with someone rather than a kind of a transactional more approach to, we have intimate relationships and then we part ways or we continue, but there is this kind of rule or regulation or boundary around uh, about, around uh, emotional intimacy that uh-huh. does not cross that line. Uh-huh. Okay, so we decided uh, to start dating separately, which went horribly for me because I wasn't able to be in a position to allow myself to do that. Lauren was doing her thing and having fun and, and connecting with people. Then I got to the place where then I decided to do that as well. So we were both dating separately, but also still together, married. That hasn't changed at all throughout the course. And then we started to find ourselves trying to navigate how we can have even deeper, more uh, enmeshed relationships with other people. So fast forward to now in regards of where I'm at is that I have two primary relationships and I'm at a hinge of that. So I have uh, a, my wife and then I have a partner that I am committed to long term. That I have a lot of enmeshment with that would be similar and or comparison to a marriage, but not the legal binding contract of what that looks like. Uh I still also go and and hang out and pursue other relationships as well outside of this um, V or hinged relationship. Lauren also does the same as well as Jessica. Uh So that's where we're at now in regards of how we're navigating the situations. I have uh, a woman that I've been seeing named Amanda. That's, uh, considered in some ways in the hierarchy of things like a third. And she likes to be referred to as a third because she's doesn't have any other partnership and she's okay with that. And she likes that. And then also just dating here and there in regards of, of, uh, just meeting people, um, in the cosmos of fun. So (laughs) that's kind of where I'm at, um, in my journey at the moment. So I hope that was, was, uh, uh, good definition of how kind of I do it versus how maybe other people's other people may. But again, in regards of what it looks like, there is no set rule. There is no set regulation around how we are polyamorous. It looks different to every and anybody that's involved in it.
1: Yeah. I think that's the main thing is that it's very fluid. It's a very like dynamic mode, right? Where, which hinges on consent has been my understanding, or right? it's as long as everyone's okay with it. I, I believe this, right? I'm pro choice. As long as everyone's okay with it, it doesn't hurt anybody then it's all good, right? As long as the expectations are communicated clearly.
2: And it's ethical in regards of how you're going about it.
1: Yeah. Can you say more about like your internal experience of that, of being in that hinge or that V? What's it like to have two primary relationships?
2: It's a lot of work. (laughs) I can imagine, right? I'm
1: trying to just handle my own.
2: (laughs) It's not easy, but it's extremely beneficial. Um, So the way way that, uh, you know, in terms of I've internalized or navigated it is is really um an excess and over amount of communication without a doubt um in regards of how and when i spend my time with lauren versus how i spend my time with jess and how we engage together as the three of us um you know we're not sexual at all the three of us but you know usually people assume that we are um but we're not and uh in regards of of how that's been you know it's 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 all based on what we've decided or what we've discussed really realistically. Have I found that in lots of ways um, I'm usually kind of put in a position that in, in sometimes, uh, of discomfort because I want to make sure everybody's pleased. Yes. Is that possible? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But, it, but in, in, in kind of my journey and the way that I've seen it is like I have set days I have with Lauren, I have set days I have with Jess. And then we work our way into how we integrate together. We do sometimes and we don't, it's not like a written rule that we have to, but in, in that sense and, and how we do that, it's, um, it's really about time and energy, what it comes down to the basis of it, like basis level is how it comes down to, and sometimes I have more energy in one relationship and less than the other. And that is okay. But, it, but in that sense and how it works and how we, um, Navigated it. It's all again communicated, you know, first and foremost about how and and what the intention is behind that that time and energy that we put into it.
1: Right. So it sounds like you have some bit some good boundaries between like who gets the primary focus at what time, or at least on what day.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And the, absolutely. And I think for me, that's how I've been able to compartmentalize it and kind of split my time as evenly as I possibly can mm-hmm. within the situation. If Lauren is with another partner or Jessica's with another partner kind of base it off of that. So if she's with somebody all weekend, and then I'll be with Lauren, right? Or, or, or vice versa in how we want to navigate it. Again, it's not part of our, you know, core rule or regulation of what that looks like, but it works. You know, it, we balanced it extremely well over the last year and a half and have had immense amount of conversations about how we want to continue to grow as the three of us and found that uh, whatever we're doing in the moment is working really, really well.
1: Do you find yourself like I don't want to say this? Do you find different aspects of yourself coming out into their relationships? Or do you find that they meet different needs or talk a little bit about that? Like what was it like for you to to be yeah, to just be in two relationships from an emotional
2: standpoint? I don't think it's possible for one person at all to meet any and all of my needs. It's not possible. In in, in these moments, do I feel satiated? Yes. mm mm-hmm. In in regards of how I feel within each and all of my relationships. Because again, it's it's the the constant is the V between me and Lauren. But again, I see other people, Lauren sees other people, Jess sees other people, my partners see other partners. So so in regards of of how that looks and, and the needs that have been met, I mean it's it's been a lot of self kind of um uh reliance, right? But also knowing that. Yes, I show up way differently in my relationship with Jessica than I do with, with Lauren, with Amanda, with this new woman, Nicole, that I'm seeing. Absolutely. I think to get into more details and in, in, in sense of how it is, um, my relationship with Lauren is super grounding. It's super secure. It's super wonderful. We have so much investment, whether it be our business together, whether it be our long-term friends and family, finances, all those things. Jessica, it's a little less of that. With Jess, it's more like there's this sense of excitement and sexuality and exploration and uh, compassion in a whole different way of living. She's also about eight years older than me. She has a child as well. So there's a lot more thought that goes into how to be in that relationship with just Jess, but then also with Jess and her son. So there's a lot more moving parts in my relationship with Jessica because it's one, it's newer, and two, because of all those other levels and layers of, of family enmeshment, uh, chi- having a child, um, you know, just kind of where she's at. Because, again, she's also um, partnered but not confined to anything by a legal contract or marriage or anything. She got divorced last year. So she's totally out in the sense of, like, the term we'll use is solo poly, but partnered.
1: Say, what does that mean?
2: So the sense What's a that – so when people are solo poly they don't have anything that's binding them to anybody they have free reign consensually and ethically to be with whoever however wherever they don't have a nesting partner is the best way to describe it not somebody that they're totally enmeshed with i don't live with jessica i live with lauren right you know we've signed this lease together this is our you know, if we were to buy property, be me and Lauren's property, right? In that sense. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of division of how that looks or changes. Uh, Amanda also solo poly. You know, she has nothing holding her down. She is her, her friends, her home. You know, I am a great part of her life and we get along and we enjoy each other. But it's not like I would say, hey, Amanda, like come meet my family tomorrow. That's just not something I would do. Jess, yes. Come meet my family. This is cool. Trying to enmesh more in that sense. Lauren, same. Like, we're each other's everything in, in so many ways in regards of the enmeshment, but not in that kind of sector.
1: Right. That's really interesting. So, and I love that you're getting really practical with it, right? Cause what I'm hearing you talk about is really like practical commitment vehicles, right? Whether that be owning property, being married, taking care of children, having children, right? Like all that kind of stuff sounds like it needs to really be worked out. Um, I want to hear a lot more about that. We're going to go into our commercial break now, but when we come back, I'd like to hear about other configurations that you've seen, you know, either in the poly community yourself or in people that you've worked with as a relationship coach, how other people might do it. Um, And then, yeah, we can get into some difference between monogamy and polyamory. Cause I, when I hear that, I I understand it. And of course I respect it. That being said, it's so foreign to me just as a human, right? It's like, Whoa, that's like a lot. It's like a lot to deal with. Um, So I'd love to hear, kind of do a compare and contrast. But first, let's go to our commercial break. If you're listening, um, stay tuned and we'll get more into the weeds when we come back.
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's one 1-888- 888 Three four six nine one four one or send an email to podcast at mark dash Now back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to our Polyamory one oh one lesson and discussion with Elliot Andre. Thanks so much for doing this, Elliot. I think it's really helpful. It's helping me kind of get a grasp on this whole world, and I imagine it's helping our listeners see if it's something they want to look into or, or even what their next steps might be. Maybe they have these feelings that they want to explore. Um, we are talking over the break that I think it would be helpful to kick it off with some other configuration. You talked about the V or the hinge, you know, the, the thing that you're in with Lauren and with Jess, but what are some other things that you see in the community or in some of the people that you work with as a relationship coach?
2: Definitely. So to talk about other polyamorous dynamics could take eons because there are so many different constructs and uh, while we were, we were talking as well, uh, when we were getting back into it, it was about even just the idea of sexuality and all the different types of contracts with people moving on uh, in this day and age. So I'll just give a basis of a couple, just so I don't want to overwhelm, but the most common dynamics that we see within polyamorous relationships. And again, that's just what I've seen. And that might be different than somebody else, but in regards to what it looks like, let's start with um, one that's very similar and closely related to a hinge. So that would be called a triad. So a triad is, is a dynamic where there are three people involved, right? Triad, triangle. And those people are all enmeshed or all have relationships together. So different than what I discussed with, with my situation with Jessica and Lauren being a hinge, this is more of a closed triangle. So those people have more enmeshment. They have sexual relations and intimacy together, they also allow others in, but in regards of how they do that, it's with everybody's consent and an understanding of how that's going to happen. After that, there's one called a quad, which is similar, right? Opening it up bigger. So rather than just three people involved, whether that be um, you know male, female, female, or female, male, male, this is a sense where there's two different types of couples. So two people who are partnered, married, or what have you, dating or enmesh with another couple. So again, whether that be male, female, or whoever, just anybody uh, involved within um, a quad. So four people involved.
1: So like two couples co- coming together. And that would, that look yeah. like when you talk about a mesh meal, would that look like they practically, right? Like are all on the lease to a home, right? Or are they all share absolutely. a mortgage or yeah, it's,
2: it's, they're absolutely. all married to each closed, other? Yeah. yeah. If it's a closed quad, yes. There's an open quad, then there's a closed quad. There's an open triad, then there's a closed triad. Mm-hmm. So in a sense of uh, what the difference between like an open and a closed dynamic would be within a quad, a closed quad would be like those people just are with each other. And if they're going to make a decision, it's the hive mind. They're all going to come to that together. If it's open, then there's still consent in regards of how and what and how people engage. But a quad usually, for what I've seen, if they're going to be intimate with somebody for else, else for instance, it's going to be with another couple that the quad says, okay, that's great. Let's do this.
1: Right. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep. And then, and then there's, um, there, <laughs> there's what I like to call the Z or the N type. And that's when there's three people that are enmeshed and then one person who kind of comes in. So similar kind of concept to a triad, but then with adding a fourth. And that person usually is solo, solo poly. In regards of how they engage, or just non-monogamous, whatever, but still decided in some ways how they all intersect or engage. But everybody has a different kind of opening to see where they want to start. Because again, this N or Z could potentially become a quad, or it could become a quad, or it could become a triad, just depending on how people want to navigate that. Mm-hmm. So those are, would say, the three to four basic kind of ways that I've seen how people engage in polyamorous configurations in, in relationship.
1: Yeah. Something that I've seen, I'd be curious uh, what your thoughts are is like that. Yeah. That open and closed dichotomy. Right. So I've known some couples that are polyamorous and I think I well, I think actually you kind of do both. Right. But some couples will just have the same people that will keep coming around as like the, the, the add ons. Right. And they're like a little bit closer but they're not, you know, married and they don't have a lot of the enmeshment they talk about. But it's, it's the same characters. And then there's some other couples where it's only like random people, right? It's only one night stands or it's only like a dating app connection. Like it's only casual um, type of relationships and there's even less enmeshment. And it's preferred that there isn't that much repeat, right? That it's, it's almost constantly new types of people that are getting brought in. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, it's case by case and whatever fits people's fancy. You know, I've, my non-monogamous polyamorous journey has changed, like I said, from explaining so much within the last three, four years. You know, one day I could wake up and say, hey, Lauren, let's talk about this. Hey, Jess, what do you think about this? It, it, I'll give you an example. So, so I just started opening myself up to dating again after committing to a, a hinged relationship in the last two to three months. Before then, even thinking about dating or getting on an app or meeting somebody new just felt so overwhelmingly too much for me. I had no energy in my cup, even for myself in these moments. You know, my friendships, I had my relationship with Lauren and Jess, I had my relationship with Jess, I had my relationship with Lauren, I had my relationship with my family. I mean, in, those, in that year and a half, I didn't feel like I was particularly able or it was tangible to even try to engage differently. You know, as Lauren starts to see other people, as Jess starts to see other people, I tend to be in a position to be like, okay, I would like that too. Going on a first date is wonderful. You can tell your story. You can get to know somebody. You can open yourself up even further to growth based on different dynamics. And I think that's where I found uh, in these moments that I wanted that, that I felt like I wanted to pursue. And yeah, I and I did. It. And I felt like opening up again, you know, as these other People in my life are starting to engage differently. And uh, it felt really nice. There's been some bumps along the road. And in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I've been able to meet and explore different parts of me with other people that I never thought I would ever with just in, within the last three months, which has felt incredible. Because again, you know, I, I don't want to say I felt complacent within my own, you know, polyamory and monogamy you know, in these moments with being so kind of closed off to connecting with other people over the last year or whatever. But it's been so humbling to kind of recognize and remember that because of the way that I live or the because of the way that people in my life live and the people that I'm engaged with and and want to be partnered with and exploring with are so open to it, it's made it so much more comfortable. You know, I I don't think I would have, I, I don't think that's possible to get any other way at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's really critical. It's like the lack of shame, right, and the lack of, you know, the the construct or the lack of expectations and knowing that you can negotiate anything, right? Like you can communicate anything, and the expectation is that you will actually, right? That you, you know, everyone's an adult and you can make the rules.
2: Yeah, we can make the rules. We make the regulations. We can make the boundaries. I mean, I think there's differences between rules and boundaries in regards of what that looks like because. Um, you know, rules are meant to be broken. I mean, we're human. We're, We're just going to do that. I try to always kind of show up in a space of this is what my boundary is. So for instance, like, if somebody is going to engage with another person, I would like to my boundary is, I would like to know what their sexual history is for the safety of other people around me. You know what that looks like? Do you how do you the other boundary might be like, okay, so if you're if you're going to engage in that, how do we have the conversation around what's comfortable for me? What's comfortable for you? And then coming to some sort of conclusion or a compromise. Cause again, if we can work through that, I think it's, it's a little bit more beneficial than saying, if you break a rule, that's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Cause again, they're meant to be broken. I mean, it's just what it is. Um, and when people are hurt and when jealousy comes up, people try to avoid that even if you're non-monogamous or, or monogamous, but people are kind of scared of that essence of jealousy and uh, and what that looks like. And I, and I know that in our culture, being jealous and experiencing jealousy is something that we're very uh, afraid of, of being a part of. And I think one thing I've recognized and, and been very aware of is that if I'm going to feel jealous, it's because of other parts of me that are triggered by the situation. It's not actually the sense of um, jealousy. It's more so insecurity. And I think that's, that's one thing that we kind of forget about um, as we manage to be in these relationships with multiple people.
1: Yeah. That's a really interesting topic. Cause I think it's a hundred percent true what you're saying. I think we're talking about jealousy as far as relationship jealousy specifically, right? Not so much like professional jealousy or work jealousy or coveting, you know, like the new car or whatever, but like we're talking about relationship jealousy, right? The person's going to like cheat on you, leave you hundred percent. That's insecurity. Right. 100% that that's insecure. That, that's thinking that like the jealous person is not good enough to stay in a relationship, to be lovable, to be accepted, to be wanted or desired. And I, I just see that show up in so many relationships as something that is just ever present. Um, what was your journey like around jealousy? Like, would would you say, were you a jealous person? Did you have to get over it? Did, what helped you? Did you not have that? Like, what's how yeah. did you deal with
2: that? I, I didn't deal with it well at first. I can tell you that much. Um, jealousy for me is something that it stems from, and I know a hundred percent of the time is insecurity. Cause anytime I feel jealous, I go to a place of like a younger part of myself mm-hmm. where I'm too much or I'm um, not enough or I'm, I'm needy or disrespectful around, you know, things that people say or bring up and poke at people and try to get a rise out of them. Um, It's been a lot to take in. And it's something that I've realized, you know, I'm not, you know, we, we, we say that people are jealous, right? You're a jealous person, but really realistically I frame it in a way that I'm a person who has felt jealousy through many of things in my life based on my own insecurities. So it's taken a lot of energy and time to kind of realize what that looks like based on my own expectations, my own experiences and my own ideal or fantasy of what a dynamic looks like. So Lauren and I open up, she starts seeing a guy. She has sex with that guy. Does not have sex with me that day or that night. And for me, that's like, oh my God, that's not going to happen anymore. I jumped to that conclusion of the worst case scenario that could ever happen. And it doesn't mean anything. My brain said that back then, Intimacy meant connection. And it does in lots of ways, but it doesn't mean everything, you know, it doesn't mean everything or anything around, around what that looks like. If you're not having that, it doesn't mean anything other than you're just not experiencing sex in this moment. And that's what I've realized. And that's been really helpful for me in my jealousy of, of just being able to own those situations and realize what the fact is around it, rather than putting all my eggs into a basket of it's not, if it's not, if I'm not getting what this other person is giving my partner, then life is over. You know, it's been more of a the sense of let's really think about what that means in regards of what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I think that comes up a lot, right? Cause if someone's having sex with somebody else, the fear is that they're going to be better, right? They're going to be better than I am. Right. And that, you know, my partner's going to prefer them. And in the moment, either they're going to, I mean, either one, they're just going to leave me and go with that individual, or they're going to be comparing me to them. And I'm going to come up unfavorably, right? Or they're going to, like you said, they're going to start having sex with that person more than with me. I'm going to lose something. Um, there is that big sense of, of insecurity and, and fear of not measuring up. Or, you know, if, if I don't have, if I can't provide, we'll say sexual pleasure, right? In this case, then it's like, what good am I? Like, what else, what else am I not providing? I think it can create like a, a hole there and like a fear there.
2: Yeah. Comparison is something that we always constantly do no matter what. And within these dynamics, it's even more so amped up. I like to say to myself, you know, to, I own it myself and I say it to clients and, and people that I know, non-monogamy is ultimately insecure. It is. In regards of how it is, polyamory is insecure. Anything that's outside of the normal construct of what we consider relationships, intimate or not, is insecure. Um, and there, that brings up a, a really big topic. You know, I'm trying to find myself being in a place of compersion. So that's a term that we use to compare ourselves, not compare ourselves, but enmesh ourselves with our relation, our, 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 our other partner's relationships and be happy for them, be excited for them. And I think for me, that's been really beneficial to kind of recognize how my compersion has allowed me to be less jealous or less insecure because I see it in regards to what it looks like that, for instance, Jessica, is with somebody who she really likes, cares for, is told she's loved and, and really appreciated. And I have all the compersion for her after I got through the jealousy. i like, that's amazing. I'm so glad somebody, you can love somebody else and somebody else can treat you well. Mm-hmm. I want that for you. I, I, I see that. I I want to be able to then do that for other people because I realize how happy that makes me to see you good, to see you loved, to see you cared for. Same with Lauren, same with anybody else that I've been with, um, getting through some of that insecurity and jealousy. It's been a really beautiful thing um, to just relate to that and engage in it in a way that's super meaningful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a level of development or enlightenment there, right? Like I'm just putting myself in a situation. I think I'd have to do a lot of therapy, right? To get over that. I think if, if I was hearing from my partner about like a fantastic date that she went on with another guy and how like incredible it was and what how how meaningful it was and like the sex they had afterwards... I think I'd be crawling out of my skin, quite frankly. Right. But, and I don't know what that is. Cause she she will talk about like, she goes out and hangs out with her friends. I love that. Like I can feel the compersion with that. Like I obviously want her to have friends and have hobbies and have connections and like all that kind of stuff. But there's something about it turning sexual that feels threatening.
2: Yeah. Sex is scary, man. In regards of how it looks. I mean, again, we're, ultimately insecure within these relationships and in myself and I, and I hear her or I hear, I hear Jess or hear Lauren or Amanda or whoever having sex with somebody else. And yeah, at first I'm like, but then I'm like, you know what? Our sex is our sex and our sex is fucking great. Right. And it's, and it's whatever that looks like, you know, I don't need to be in a position of comparing it to the next person because it's different. Mm -hmm. It's lovely in its own way. And I think compartmentalizing that has been very helpful for me. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's not better than, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Right. Yeah. And it's unique between two people. I think that, I think that's true.
2: Yeah. I mean, if we consider constantly are finding ourselves comparing ourselves to the other, we're not going to feel good about ourselves at all. Mm-hmm. Realistically.
1: Well, so as we move into our commercial break here, I want to talk to you on the other end of it about where you think polyarmy came from for you. Um, something that is a preference that you were born with. It was something you developed over time, what that process was like, Um, and maybe something for the listeners if they want some resources about how to get started to explore this part of themselves to see if they do fit into any of these configurations or if they want to invent their own. So if you're enjoying listening to the podcast, uh, stand by and we'll catch you on the other side of the break.
0: this course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark y.teachable.com.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark Now back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to our final segment here with Elliot Andre talking about polyamory and going through his journey, learning about different configurations, different ways to set up the contract. It's been really informative so far. I mean, I really I really want to say on air, I think you know this, you know, but I want to say it to the listeners that I'm always in awe and impressed about how open you are about this and how you seem to be so confident about talking about sex or talking about relationships is something that, you know, I've certainly struggled with. I know a lot of people struggle with. Um, We don't get a lot of training as a culture, but it's clear just how calm you are, you know, and how you can really take it in stride and try to really examine some of these things.
2: I appreciate you saying that, man. It's, it's been a journey, but it's also something that, I think if I can give a voice to myself and others around their experience, their sexuality, their relationship d- dynamic, it should be really helpful to to destigmatize it and that's the biggest part of of, of polyamory for me is how we can make this a mainstream thing of culture mm-hmm. and and allow people to really uh, live their most authentic lives and uh, appreciate all and anything that they can from what that looks like. Because um, again, it's, it's, it's not easy, but if you can do it and you can do it well with the support of therapy, books, people around who are also doing it, I want to be a voice for those people.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. And I think we, we align on that of like, letting people to become the best version of themselves and to explore different dynamics of, of who they are and express that. Um, I think that's a great segue into our topic. The question I have for you is, how do I say this? Don't I don't will just say where's polyry come from, but I guess more, I mean, this is such a big topic. I think of like the conversations ongoing around like sexuality and gender and trans rights and all the different, you know, LGBTQ plus, you know, terms that are coming out. Um, is it something that you believe? And again, I don't think we know. So I want to preface it with that. I think this is all just conjecture from both of us, but do you have that something that people are born with is something that people, um, you know, learn over time. and something that people can train themselves or, or develop or explore if they're interested in like, what's like the internal process around that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't want to say I was born polyamorous, but I definitely was born open and explorative. And because of the way that I was raised and kind of the boxes that I was put in, based on just my familial dynamic or just what society expected was, I wasn't able to explore that as much as I would have liked. I did it in phases, shall we say. So I can remember vividly um, really enjoying being naked, okay, for instance, right? And just being open and excited about that. And everybody's like, oh, put your clothes on. Be like, you know, as a kid. And I'm like, why? What's the matter? People can look at me and enjoy this and, and be okay with it. And I think, like, just those kind of things or those types of experiences, just one being in, in general, was like that kind of changes you. So I was told as a child, you know, hey, marriage, uh, look at me and your mom, right? That's what my dad would say. Look at how we've created this family, this unit, this beautiful thing that not everybody gets to have. And I, I bought that. I said, oh, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I need. So in sense of, of, for me, you know, I had some of these tendencies. So like for for another example, you know, I spent a lot of time with women and I didn't really have close male relationships because I didn't see that model. And I think a lot of people were like, Oh, well, if he hangs out with a lot of women, he's this, this, and that, you know, I was the only male on the cheerleading team, for instance. And everybody was like, Oh, he's got to be gay. Like, there's no way he's not. I was like, no, I'm just exploring these other aspects and avenues of myself that I want to, because I think this is fun. I like to sing. I like to act. I like to dance. I like to do all these things. Um, And then, you know, as we kind of moved forward, it was still that same kind of concept of like monogamy for me in these moments, based on what I was taught was what was safe, what was comfortable, what was secure. So I found myself being in romantic monogamous relationships from 16 until I opened up because that's all I knew. I didn't know anything until I met Lauren and was in a place where I was like, you know what? I'm going to live my most authentic life, and I want to be polyamorous. And my idea of polyamory was dating multiple people. And again, that's the dynamic and construct that I wanted. I was going to get coffee with one girl. I was going to have sex with another. I was going to go explore with one. Getting those needs met that I always wanted to have from one person, from other people, and that felt unbelievable. That was the happiest I'd ever been from childhood till 22, shall we say. So I, I then kind of got back into the monogamous mindset when Lauren was like, I'm not going to have sex with you unless we're t- we're monogamous. And I said, you know what? Okay, let's get back to security. Uh-huh. Let's come back in. Let's let's enjoy that. So again, you know, in kind of the spectrum of how it is, are we born with it? Are we not? Can we go in and out of it? Absolutely. I've known people that have been monogamous for 40 years and then decided to be non-monogamous. I've known people who wanted to be polyamorous from the first day they knew that they could be. And then now are monogamous. So it, it's totally uh, a construct of how that looks like for everybody and how we navigate it in society. I think in a lot of ways, I mean, it's not easy to be polyamorous. Do I go around and tell people I am? Yes, because that's me. But is that for everybody? I have a friend who has a corporate job. He would never tell his bosses that he's not monogamous. You know, I've, uh, you know, it's, Similar to how I think people dealt with with being bi or gay or lesbian or whatever many years ago, right, in regards of how that's now kind of a norm or or they decided that they wanted to identify and be non-binary or be trans or like that's still coming to the the essence of what's going on. So very spectrum, very interesting in regards of how we can kind of shift and navigate uh, through the non-monogamous polyamorous communities without a doubt.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It, it's a lot more dynamic is what I'm hearing. And it's something that I think moves as desires change. And it sounds like, at least for you, is that once you had some security with Lauren, and it sounds like Lauren needed that too, then you felt safe enough to open back up, right? So there's like some level of like, okay, let's come back to center, let's reground. And then we can you know go back and explore again.
2: Um, yeah, I'll never forget it. I mean, I think the, the, the day I knew I was ready was when me and Lauren were together and we were at a party and this guy was very much so attracted to her and hitting on her. And she said, what would happen if I cheated on you? And I said, I looked at her just dead in the face. He said, we would talk about it. We'd make it work. I understand. I understand. I understand completely in that moment that I would be okay with her exploring and experiencing other things. Mm-hmm. That was that moment for that relationship. Different for others, but in regards to what that looked like, that was how that happened.
1: Right. And I'm hearing that to tie back in. It's like, let's overcome that insecurity. Because you know that like, I guess cheating, I mean, cheating is all freaking, I mean, even that word cheating, right? Yeah. is like, you're breaking the rules. I mean, that's like a crazy word. Um, but I'm hearing that you felt like your relationship was strong enough with her that it wouldn't just get nuked if there was like an affair or cheating or, or another sexual connection. That you, you even in that moment, sounds like you'd feel strong enough to have the conversation instead of just try to like blow it up.
2: Yeah. I mean, if it happened, would I have felt potentially differently? Sure. But in in hindsight, I think we, again, like you're saying, there was enough of that security to be like, you know what? It happens. It happens to what? What's the, what is the uh, statistic now? 50% of all marriages end in divorce and or infidelity. I mean, why just, why not be open about that and do it and explore it rather than the opposite? of having to end in this kind of catastrophic way it doesn't make sense to me because um, I, if I were to do it again I wouldn't get married honestly I wouldn't um, I would love to have a long term partnership with Lauren but not have the legal binding parts of it mm-hmm. I think we would still be just as strong just as great if we didn't um, and I think that with all the relationships that I have I would love to have beautiful long term amazing relationships but me even now for like a breakup now depending on the situation like you're saying um it's not nearly as overwhelming as it might have been, you know, to be this or that or cheated on or whatever, just because again, it's like, it makes sense. It makes sense. Why, you know, because we can be so open about the lines of communication of what's not happening. I just was with a woman uh, yesterday who I used to date for a year and we hung out as friends. It was fine. It was great. It was magical. Good way to get back together and hang out. But like just telling her and kind of letting her know about how we started one way because of, whatever transpired. And then the transition of it, you know, definitely was a nice change of pace to just be like, yeah, we're here now and now we're not. And there's hurt of course, and, and insecurity and whatever, but it's okay. It's okay. We've been able to be understanding of the situation.
1: Right. Yeah. You can both be adults. You can be like, this is just what the new situation is. And it's not personal in a way, but it's just like, this is the new configuration. I think that's really, it's really interesting. I, I'm curious So, like, for me, and I think we, just, we have different backgrounds. I, like for me, sex and sexuality wasn't such a huge part of my life. Like I was very repressed, I think in that way for a lot of my life. And it wasn't, so, and I wouldn't feel confident with women. So like the idea of having like many women was like, unlike overwhelmed, right? I'm like, I can't even like date one person. Like, what do you mean? Like I'm going to date um, like two or three people. Um, and I'm not driven like in that same way. Interesting development is that like in the past year, I've noticed that my testosterone has been low and that was probably true my whole life. So that brings like a really interesting, like genetic component or a biological, at least component of like, Oh, you know, and now that that's balancing out, my sex drive is certainly increasing, you know, so it's like, Oh, well, what, what would have been like if I had grown up with like, you know, healthier testosterone? Would I have felt very different? Um, and the answer is probably right. Cause especially, you know, in men, it's like a huge mood correlate and. You know, sex drive and and all of that. Um, but yeah, like like that being said, I was talking to my therapist about this actually this this week. Of as much as I like to be an adventurous individual, I think ever since getting sober too, I've really optimized for security and stability and safety, and building that foundation. You know, whether that be through my business or my fitness or through my healthy habits or in relationship, like I'm still very much in that place of wanting safety and security. Um, and I think monogamy is, like you said, is one construct that moves towards that. Um, but it's inspiring to hear from you that like once you have get that safe security, then there's more impulse to open up or opening up doesn't feel as scary or doesn't feel as risky or doesn't bring up as much insecurity.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, to be frank, even even with anything that's new within any of my relationships, whether it be a long term a short term or what have you. If it doesn't feel secure in those moments, it's not going to feel secure. And that's, that's just, that's that. And I own that and I recognize that. And I know what comes up, you know, some of the same feelings definitely are there, but I know how to navigate them that much better now. You know, like for instance, when Jess, uh, you know, told this guy, Max, that she's seeing that she loved him the other day. At first I was like, oh, but then I was like, okay, this is great. Like, I understand that took me a lot less of time to really engage in that. Cause I do feel so secure even with, with Amanda, somebody who caused me a lot of anxiety in the beginning because of trying to navigate this new dynamic. Now I realize within a couple months, that there is security within our connection. It just looks different than it does with Jess or Lauren. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. I really like that. Doesn't say that I still don't get insecure or, or jealous or whatever, but there's still that part of me that's like, you know what? I figured it out. I know what works for me. I know it doesn't. I know how I want to put myself forward in this, how I want to take a step back in some certain situations. But knowing, like you said, there is that fluidity within all of it, you know, of how we engage. Because again, tomorrow I could be like, you know what? I don't want to see anybody else. And I could, I could do that. I could find myself being in a more, as we like to say in the community, polyfidelitous relationship where it's just me and Lauren and Jess or just me and Jessica, whatever, that's totally plausible. Again, mm-hmm. it just depends on where you're at, what you're needing, where your needs are, and all, and all those types of things. So it's, again, it's extremely fluid. And again, I, I think there is a part of monogamy that is fluid, but still stays in the construct of security. Right, right.
1: Well, so as we're coming to the end of our episode here, I'm curious if you have any resources for the listeners, think places they might go, things they might think about, maybe books, anything to help them explore if they've been inspired by this episode. Where would you encourage them to start?
2: Well, it depends on where they are in their journey. So if we're talking about somebody just opening up their relationship, um, there is two resources I would definitely let people know. Um, So there is one called getting off the relationship escalator. And then the other one is called opening up a guide to creating and sustaining open relationships. Those are the two places I would start if people like literature. Um, The other place I would go in regards to people would rather listen to something or, or watch something is, I mean, podcasts like this places where people can find others talking about non-monogamy, non-monogamy openly without a doubt. I mean, it's, it was most beneficial for me in those moments to really see and be validated that other people like me are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get that from reading a book personally, but being in that space and, and and going to meetups and going to places where, where other people were open was so beneficial because again, everybody's story is different, but everybody has valid facts and things and experiences to express without a doubt.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it, it really does harken back to like the LGBTQ journey of coming out, right? Of like finding other people that identify similarly and say like, look, these people not just surviving, but they're thriving and they're just normal people for lack of a better term, right? There's nothing deviant or taboo or bad about them at all. They're just normal people living their lives and they just happen to make a different decision around their relationships, right? But it doesn't mean they're like better or worse. Um, it could be really helpful. So in our final segment here, Elliot, can you tell people where to find you, the type of services that you might offer? Um, where do you exist on the internet?
2: Absolutely. So you can find me at my business website, it's connectedroots.net. Uh, me and my wife, Lauren, offer open relationship coaching uh, for those who would be interested in abro- approaching the topic of just opening up. I also work with people uh, individually in that sense uh, with where they are in their opening up uh, kind of journey. Um yeah, you can find us at Connected Roots Therapy on Instagram and uh, all the podcasts that I've done. You can just type my name on the Internet, Elliot Andre, and you will see the podcast I have done talking about non-monogamy. There are many. So definitely take a look there.
1: You're very po- prolific. Well, awesome. It's so great to have you on this show. Um, thanks for listeners for tuning in. If you found this helpful, giving us a review, liking us on social media, doing all that stuff really helps to get the word out to people that might be struggling with these issues or, you know, wanting to open up their relationship. So thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes.
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.